0: Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Dan is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk Notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Dan. Now, first of all, we're going to start with this concept of misquoted. Where did this series come from? And maybe you have been in a situation before when you have been misquoted. And an example of that might have been when my kids were younger and we were cleaning up Saturday, clean the house day. They hate doing it. Uh, they, They fight us the whole time. And so they might come to me and say something like, if we clean up today, can we have ice cream when we're done? And I say, we'll see. Okay? And we'll see... To a child, it means to them, yes, okay? And that's kind of a misquote. So then they go and they tell their mother, Dad said, when we get done cleaning, we get to go get ice cream and, and then maybe even do something after that. <laughs> Unfortunately, my wife has other plans, and, and comes to me then and, and confronts me. And what is it you're saying? How come you're saying they can go for ice cream and we're going to be doing stuff after this? You know we have other things we have to do and you shouldn't have told them that. And I'm like, hey, 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 relax a little bit. I was misquoted. Uh, my words were taken out of context. And as we, we think about this misquoted and, and how this happens... That one of the things that you need to understand about yourself and and all of us need to understand about ourselves, I'm the same way, is that we have a tendency to hear what we want to hear. And that is going to be the the first part of this is is we have this where we hear what we want to hear and that's bad enough when it's from another person, but that can also happen in our relationship with god and what happens is god speaks and we look at his word and and maybe we take it out of context maybe maybe we don't read all of what he's saying in a certain section and so we come away with expectations of god and then when he doesn't follow through on them when when we when we twist his words and 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 make them say something else when that doesn't happen, then we're frustrated, we're angry with him and maybe with other people as well. Misquoting can come from hearing what you wanna hear. But also, there are times when misquoting takes place because people are trying to get you to say something that you don't wanna say. And I'm just gonna tell you right now, for professional athletes, I do feel sorry for them because of the amount of media scrutiny that they are under. And the fact that they always have a microphone in their face and they can be having a one hour conversation. And if there's a journalist who's trying to get a story and and tries to get them to say something that they want to hear, that it's relatively easy to do. An example of that could be during spring training when you have someone who's a rookie and they ask them, well, do you think you have a chance at starting this year? And they say, you know what, if I I play as hard as I can and uh, I can play my way into the starting role, so yeah, I think I can. And then the headline the next day is, young rookie thinks he's going to be starting, announces his starting role on the team. And then you have all this problems, these problems in the clubhouse where these words were taken out of context and he tries to, to do damage control and say, Yeah, it was misquoted. That's, that's not what I was there to talk about. And I misspoke. As we look at this when when referring to Jesus, there were times when people tried to get Jesus to say things that He didn't want to say, or maybe that would have made him look bad. Maybe you know some of those. An example of that was a time when they came to him and they said, Jesus, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And what they were looking for was a yes or no answer. Because if Jesus said, Yes, you should pay taxes to Caesar. They knew that the people would start to dislike Jesus, that, that they would say, oh, he's pro-Roman government, and therefore we don't want to support him. He, he's just a puppet of the Roman government. But then if he said, don't pay taxes to Caesar, then the Roman government would be on top of him, and he would be in trouble. And that's why Jesus, in, in those situations, was very clear and purposeful with his words. And, and he said there, give to Caesar what is Caesar, and give to God What is God's? Making sure that his his words were very well chosen and very specific to what they were talking about. So there are times when we speak that we can have that frustration when individuals are coming to us trying to get us to say something we don't want to say. But there can also be another way, and that is that there are times when we speak when we are not clear. Or, or maybe even we speak and we are clear, but people still don't understand. And for that reason, there, there were times when other people came to Jesus, and, and one of them was Nicodemus. A man named Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. And he came because, not because he was trying to make Jesus look bad, not because he was trying to get a quote that would you know, not play well with people, but he really was confused about what God said and, and, and that there was so much in, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that when he came to Jesus, he said, I know that you're a man of God. We all know that because of all the miracles you do. But he had serious questions about how a person could be close to God and have a relationship with God and, and, and how a person could go to heaven. And that's when Jesus spoke to him and and he chose his words very clearly about being born again. Unless you're born of water and the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And it was right after that that Jesus said, and, and that's why God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Very clear, concise words to help an individual who is struggling to show him the way to heaven. We now live 2,000 years after Christ. And some of, I'm not even going to say many of his words because he did have a three-year ministry and and we have those words, what what God wanted to capture for us in, in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And even now, even though we have those words written down, even though you can go back anytime you want, open your phone app, open your Bible, wherever, and go back and say, say, did Jesus say this or not? Or, or do a word search on the internet, Bible Gateway, go in and see, did Jesus say this or not? Many people don't. And for that reason, today, Jesus is still misquoted. And people are hurt, and people are confused, and, and people have wrong expectation of what their relationship with God should be and what their lives will look like. So for the next seven weeks, what we are going to do is seek clarification, clarification on exactly what Jesus says so that we can be very clear on the expectations and what it means and the comfort and the promises we have for our life. Now, the first misquoted one that we're going to look at right now is, well, I guess you could, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand today, but I need you to answer this in your mind. Do you believe that God wants you happy? That, that if you had to answer the question, yes or no, and don't give me, well, yeah, an answer that starts with well is not yes or no, okay? So I want you to look at this, and if you were to say, does God want me happy if I were going to go yes or no, which direction would I go? Now what's interesting about this is, is, is as I've done with the research, I'll, I'll, I'll first of all tell you that all of our elders said yes, that every individual I've talked to has said yes, and the answer is No. See, I gave you the answer already, so that's not a problem. But the answer probably really isn't that simple. And I think one of the places where we go, and and maybe even, even before we start, is to say, if you believe that the answer is yes, that God wants me happy, where did that come from? Was it the Bible verse that Jesus said, I want you happy? Because he never said it. You can do a Bible search. It, it doesn't say that anywhere. That, that a person came to Jesus and said, Lord, what should I do? And Jesus said, do whatever makes you happy. That's easy. That's... No, he, he never speaks in those terms. But I would also say this, that if you were to ask the question, does God want me miserable? The answer is also No. And see, what happened throughout history is that there were two schools of thought. There were those who thought that God did want me happy. And, and what you come away with is an Epicurean type philosophy. Eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. And, and so that is the way that you look at it is my goal in my life is to be happy. And then on the other side, probably what you have is a monastic life where you believe that the more miserable I am, the happier God is, and therefore I'm going to do everything I can in my power to make myself as miserable as possible, beating myself up, whipping myself, depriving myself, and therefore God will like me more. And both of those are not what God wants. They are not the path to a relationship with God. So what I would like to start with today is not a portion of God's word, but rather a portion of the Declaration of Independence to see possibly where this concept of wanting to live my life and the goal of my life to be happy where it comes from. And this is from the preamble to the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Even a, a, there was even a movie a number of years ago called The Pursuit of Happiness. And, and it was, what, is it, what can I do in my life that is going to make me happy? And the answer really in this movie, as you look at the pursuit of happiness, is to get a job where I make a decent amount of money, and thereby I can be happy. If you follow your life with this, and it is a theology, it's a secular theology, it is this belief that, that as I live my life, the compass and the deciding thing for what I do in my life is going to be what makes me happy. And so as I I go through life, if I'm not happy, I'm I'm at a juncture where I have to look around to what will make me happy, and that is where I will go. And then it follows that people will say, well, if God wants me happy, then he wants me doing this because this is what makes me happy. And that becomes a theology. In the blank, you can write secular theology. I can do what I want to make myself happy as long as I don't break the law, number one, or violate another's rights. As long as I don't break the law or violate another's rights. And as we look at this, and, and I want to make it clear that, that as we look at it from a government standpoint, that, that to have that as kind of our governmental philosophy I'm not saying governmentally for that philosophy that it's wrong, that, that if you want to have that type of philosophy, that, that those are the parameters in, whi- in which we ask the people of our country to live, that as long as they are abiding by the laws and as long as they are not hurting another person or, or affecting their rights, they can do whatever they want. And especially now in, in our country, there, there is a, a call for this and, and kind of the theology, again, a part of this is the theology of tolerance. That, to, that as long as someone is not doing that, that we should leave them alone. And once again, I'm not saying that's wrong. That, that governmentally, as you look at people who are different, allowing them to live in, in a way that they want to live, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else. I, yeah, I, I, I like it on paper. This sounds good. But I'm telling you that living your life that way for the pursuit of happiness is problematic. And here is why. In the United States, do you know how many laws there are? There are 20,000, 20,000 gun laws. Did you know that? 20,000 gun laws. And, and, and as we look at the, the problem with violence and everything we have, that the answer is going to be twenty thousand one. And and so we look at this, what happens, and and this is where we're at as a country right now, where we have individuals that at the moment weren't breaking any laws, but then they are violating other people's rights, and they're hurting them, and and they're doing it in in mass quantities, and, and we don't know what to do, except maybe get more laws, but the problem is that their pursuit, their twisted pursuit of a happiness, or maybe the flip side of that happiness, which is hate that it takes them to a place where where we stand back and we say we need to continue to to contract with laws what a person can do. There's 20,000 gun laws and 300,000 laws by which a person can be criminally prosecuted. That's crazy. And you know why each one of those laws over the last 200 plus years was enacted? Because a person's pursuit of happiness continued to cross lines that affected other people. And, and if nothing else, that should show us that this pursuit of happiness, this idea that we can chase it, happiness is elusive. Happiness is something that the more you chase it, the farther it runs away. Happiness is something that as you try to get your arms around it and you think you have it, that it's only a short period of time until it's gone and then it runs away again. That is why we we make the transition now from, this is kind of the worldly way of pursuit of happiness. it's, It's the theology of the country in which we live. And you can just see that from, Looking and following that, watching the news, you'll see that. And it's celebrated. That Jesus, when talking to an individual, he was talking to an individual that went on the pursuit of happiness through the proper social and governmental ways of pursuing happiness as a good citizen. And this was an individual whose pursuit of happiness took him specifically to finding it in the amount of money he made and in wealth. This individual came to Jesus and said, well, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So here's this individual who uh, Jesus then asked him, and I didn't keep the whole part here, but he said, well, you know the commandments. He's like, yeah, I know the laws. I've I've kept all these laws ever since I was a child. And and that's why I'm good. I'm, I'm pursuing happiness and eternal life and a relationship with God in the structure that I was told that was acceptable to do it. And then Jesus, it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. I have that highlighted, underline that, because I'm telling you today, that, and that whether it's me, because I'm telling you, I pursue happiness. I do. I want to be happy. I'm not happy when I'm not happy. <laughs> <laughs> that, and when we go and we try to find happiness in the wrong places, and maybe even according to the rules, Jesus looks at you and Jesus loves you. And a part of that, that, that as, as a child who, who's trying to find the happiness through the wrong things, that he looks and, it, and says, no, that's not the way. And because he loved this man, he said, one thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away Sad. Because he had great wealth. Jesus, okay, Jesus wanted this person sad. I don't know if I would say that. But Jesus also, when when this individual was pursuing happiness in a way that did not involve a relationship with God or pursuing happiness through something that stood in his relationship with God and affected that relationship He said that when it comes to that point, you have to choose. And you have to choose the happiness that is going to come through your stuff or a different path in your relationship with God. And so really the question for you today is, what do you do in your life when God tells you no? Because when people tell me no, I'm not happy. That they are saying your pursuit of what you want stops here. And now what you need to go to is another route. And so the question that is asked then is that, can I find happiness apart from the things I think make me happy? In the blank, right? Happiness, just so we're clear, happiness is feeling pleasure because of circumstances in my life. And just so you know, that's Webster's definition, not mine, that the circumstances of your life are such where they make you, they give you pleasure, and that is happiness. And then once that thing is gone or loses its luster, then I'm not happy again. And so sometimes I have this picture in my head of of the way that people think their relationship with God be, of course, we don't think of ourselves this way, but I think of a mom with a one-year-old child trying to keep them happy. So you have the, the, the crackers, you know, you got to have the goldfish. That, that always works for a period of time. And so you have the nook, and you have extra diapers, and, and you have uh, a bottle. You have just about anything you can imagine. You, you bounce them, you, you burp them, and, and, and it's like you're constantly doing this thing this routine to, to keep this child happy trying to find what it is that, that is going to uh, placate them for a period of time. And that in our lives, I don't think we want to look at ourselves that way, but if you are going to pursue happiness and you believe that it is God who is going to bring circumstances in your life constantly to make that happen, then you are that big baby that God is, should be getting you what you want as soon as you cry out so that you can stop crying and you can be happy. But God says, no. And he doesn't say no because he doesn't love you. He says no because he does. We continue, why? Why does he do this? He says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever." I'm not necessarily a fan of a litmus test on on how you can quickly make decisions on whether something is right or wrong, but I will tell you, if happiness is your your compass and and the way you make decisions is by saying, I believe God wants me happy, so I'm going to pursue happiness by doing whatever I want, whether it's sinful, unwise, unhealthy, I'm just going to do that, you are going to have serious issues and it leads you away from God. But here is a different question. And the question that, that Jesus really, or from 1 John, that we're told is that the question should be is this lasting? Is this godly? And does this last? And so now we're in a situation where, where, where we have these things where God does guide us with love and mercy and forgiveness and peace. And joy, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, things of those nature, where he says against those types of things, there is no law. And he says, perhaps when we think about happiness and the pursuit of it, that, that maybe the way to find happiness is not to chase it, but to let it find you. One other verse that that just as we close out this section from Proverbs 14, verse 12, and this is a word of warning. There is a way that appears to be right. And the way that appears to be right is just be happy, follow that. But in the end, it leads to death. In the blank, you can write the problem with earthly happiness is that it doesn't last And in the end, it leads to death. It leads you away from God. And death specifically meaning separation from God, not only in this life, but the life to come. Understand that inside of you, you have a sinful nature. And the sinful nature, more than anything else, wants to be in charge, wants to be served, wants to to receive all of this from the outside to make it happy, you need to be able to say no and realize that God does as well. So where do we go? That where, where do we find this, the, this, if it's not happiness, what is it we're looking for? And where we start is Genesis 2, verses 8 and 9, in an area maybe that you haven't related to this. And it says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. So these were things that would have made Adam and Eve happy. So, so this is good. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that is one of the things that, that even to this day people have an issue with. Why would God plant this tree of knowledge and good and evil, where He told them, "You cannot have this tree you cannot eat from this tree. All the other trees you can, except this one tree you cannot." Why did God do that? And as he did it, one one Bible writer says the reason why God did that is that was their pulpit and that was their pew. That was the place where Adam and Eve would go on a daily basis and worship God by doing what he told them to do. In the same way that when we come and we hear God's word, there's a part of it that, that we come here because God tells us to and it's beneficial for us. And by doing that, what he was establishing for them and he establishes for us as well is the purpose of our lives is not to be happy and to make ourselves happy. But I would say that as we look at the purpose is to be holy. In the blank, you can write, God created us with purpose. We are here to fear, love, and trust in him above all things. And if those words sound familiar, I hope they do. They are the meaning to the first commandment. You shall have no other gods. And the first one on that list of having another god is yourself. And if you live your life in a way where your happiness is your number one concern, you are the false god. You are serving yourself. And you are not going to find happiness there. But we find happiness here in in an unexpected place. The next verse. Psalm 37 verse four, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. This verse is like a, a, when you think about it, it's like profound because he's saying, if you delight in the Lord and you really, your number one delight is him, he's going to give you what you want. And you know what it is that you'll want him because he's the desire of your heart. So it's not take delight in the Lord and then he'll give you all the stuff you want to make you happy. But take your delight in the Lord and he will be with you at all times. And then the other things, the circumstances of life that normally would make a person happy, those become less and less relevant to you. Yeah, there are going to be times when God gives you those things and you will have happiness with them and you will be thankful for them. Maybe you'll even call them blessings. And maybe those blessings will be people. Maybe they will be relationships. And you will thank God for them and say, these are great gifts from you, God. But that highest delight comes from your relationship with him. And then you have the opportunity for happiness. As I said before, not for you to go looking for it, but for it to find you. Jesus also talked about this in in Matthew 6 in his Sermon on the Mount when he said, for the pagans run after all these things, they run after happiness and your heavenly father knows that you need them. He knows that you need things, that you are a physical being, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. That when you start in the right place in your relationship with God, that when you start it and that is established with with his great love for you, now you're ready. Now you're ready to have all those other blessings and to have them prioritized in your life. As we do this today, it starts with this. Do you understand how much you are loved by God? I mean, really. When you think about this, I, I was just talking to a friend this week who, who, I run into this in my life where I just, there are times when I put my conduct Even though I know it's theologically wrong, I know God doesn't love me right, doesn't love me more when I do right and dislike me or hate me when I do wrong, that he loves me all the time. There are times when I'm still like in a trap. And the trap is especially when I'm going to be on stage on Sunday. Usually my conduct on the Saturday before is very good. Because I don't want God. I'm not saying uh, that you're going to abandon me if I do like a bunch of sin on Saturday, but it's not going to hurt, okay? So I'm going to cover all my bases. And in that, what I show is, is this, this deep-seated issue of just not understanding how much God loves me and not understanding what a wonderful relationship he has with me with unconditional love. And so I need to look to the past, and I need to look at his promises and his great love and his journey to the cross again and again and again for him to say, hello, Dan, do you not get it? I love you. And then I look in my life and and whether it be the the times of my, the time of my baptism or the promises or the, or the faith or the strengthening of the faith or the time spent in growth group or with Christian friends who encourage me in the faith with the gospel for goodness sakes, Dan, don't you get it? The greatest thing you have is your relationship with me. And as I look towards my future and know that there's an eternity plan for me with God in heaven, That now, once I get there, once I calm down and and stop chasing and look at what I have, now I'm in a place where I can truly enjoy the blessings that God gives. And so can you as well. That's what it means to have your number one relationship with Christ. Not so that he gives me what I want, so that in him I find everything I need and everything he would have me have. In the blank, you can write, joy is the settled assurance that God is in control. That God is in control of my life no matter what situations I face. No matter what, God is in control and I can, I can deal with that. And God gives me joy. He gives joy in his relationship with me. And so my encouragement for you is to go back to that on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, as often as necessary to be reminded of his great love for you in Jesus Christ. And then what happens is you find happiness, you find joy, whatever word you want to use, in the most unexpected places. Jesus said, blessed. This is also from Jesus' sermon when he was on a mountain. It's from Matthew chapter five. And if you look at that, it's it's a section where he says this a number of times. Blessed, you are blessed. And if you look at the translation of this word, it can mean when you are blessed, it can mean that you are very, 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 very happy. So you can be very, 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 very happy when people insult you persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you in the blank you can write even in the most unpleasant circumstances we are blessed our future with god is secure and our joy is enduring. Right now this this is this is where the sermon comes together and that is i have to believe i have to believe that in your lives and maybe even in some relationships that you are unhappy. That, that right now I ask you to go there. I ask you to go to the, to the place in your, love where you, your life where you find the most unhappiness. And, and perhaps what has happened is you've taken out the compass of happiness and, and, and it's guiding what you think you should do from this point forward. My encouragement for you is to, to put that compass not, not in your pocket, toss it. And perhaps, to perhaps as you go forward to ask the question, in, this, in my relationship, first of all, am I recognizing God's great love for me in Jesus Christ? That today, I, in the midst of this, how can I recognize that God has made me the desire of his heart and that I can make him the desire of mine as well? that that can I deal with God saying me no to giving me this happiness and yes to, to him giving me himself and then having that love and that joy, experiencing blessing in a very difficult situation, being persecuted, being insulted, having people misquote your words, and his promise to you is, yes, you can. So to, today, leave here knowing what Jesus says. <laughs> and Jesus says, and, and, and from his word, what, what God tells us is that we can find, the, go to the last memory verse. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you that, that you exposed a, maybe kind of a lie that we, we live, and that is that we look for happiness based in the circumstances of life, and it just leaves us tired from running from one thing to another with a happiness that we never truly find. And for that reason, Lord, help us to remember again your great love for us. You know, if, if our lives sometimes can be the pursuit of happiness, Christ's life was the pursuit of us. And, and he did pursue us, and, and he overtakes us with his love and, and draws us back to himself and draws us back to you. Now, Lord, in that relationship, help us to find joy and then to live with that joy and that blessing uh, through you and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now some closing thoughts from Pastor Dan. What a great place for us to finish its well with our soul through Jesus Christ and our relationship with Him. As you leave here today, another reminder about the the meeting at ALA at 1.30. Also, uh, the Lord's Supper Day at 10.30. And as you leave, go with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. We'll see you on the patio.